0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focus Compounding, sitting next to my co-founder, Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how's it going today? It's
1: going very well, Andrew. How's it going with you? It's
0: going great. We hope it's going great for everybody else as well. Hey, if this is the first time you are tuning in, hit the subscribe button, thumbs this video up if you are, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, bringing you guys a ton of content. If you are following this on the podcast side of things, of course, a rating and review goes a very long way. I'm gonna try my best not to touch the microphone this time. It's kind of jumping around, and it was driving me bananas listening to it. Um, but we're, we're going to see how well I do. Today is a Q&A. Uh, we normally do them on Monday, so if you want to be on the lookout for that, the best place to uh, see that is my Twitter, at Focus Compound. And then the other thing is, and this is the first time that we are actually announcing it, if you want to support the Focus Compounding Movement. Not the Focus Compounding Biz, no, the movement. If you wanna support the movement and you like QuickFS, that is quickfinancialstatements.net, and you go and you sign up, you should see a part of how did you hear about us? Okay. And there will be a new thing in there where you could click focused compounding. If you want to do it that way, that's the best way to do it. Or in the show notes, you'll see a link. And I guess if you click it, it puts a cookie on your page. It tells them that you came from us. And Jeff and I get a little piece of that. Because, I mean, we promote it so much. We love it so much. And the guy that runs it, it's been great. And we're happy to continue to promote it. So we are now... What are we, affiliates? That's, I guess, what we yes. are. We have sold out. We have sold out. We've lied. We've sold out. And if you want to support us, um, if you want to get quick FS, you could do, uh, support us by um, signing up through that link or just saying that you heard of us or heard of quick FS through focus compounding uh when you actually sign up you'll see a part to click that so the first question we'll get right into it we have a lot of good questions 45 questions i think so we'll do our best to plow through it it says how do you think time horizon should influence your cash position we've had a lot of questions on time horizon
1: um uh, that's a very good question uh i mean the biggest issue is if you're going to uh well, there's sort of a couple issues, but the, the biggest issue is the risk that you'll spend um, money that you have invested at prices that are, well, you will spend more relative to intrinsic value than you should. So the risk is if you have a need for cash at a time when when um, stocks or bonds or whatever you're invested in is uh, priced above intrinsic value. It's not so much of a problem if it's priced below intrinsic value. Because the reason is you're, you're spending part of your um, market value. You know That's how you plan for these things. So you think, like, I'm going to spend a certain amount of my market value. But actually, if uh, the stock is uh, overvalued, then you're actually spending a higher percentage of intrinsic value when you do that and vice versa. So uh, it, it depends. It's a combination. But it basically you should be concerned if you need uh, cash quickly at a time when uh, the assets you're in are uh, priced higher than normal.
0: I think this question could also come from the other day Mm -hmm. when we were talking about how to live off of your investments. Right. And you were talking about, you think, I believe it's what you said, tell me Mm -hmm. if I'm wrong, that the pull 4% from your account thing is going to be dead over the next couple, 10 years? Is that what you said? Well, this was someone who
1: was... um, Uh, this was someone who was actually in their thirties who wanted to have like a permanent retirement basically. Yeah. Now, if you're in your seventies or eighties, it'll be a little different, but if you, when you're like in your thirties, what you basically need is a perpetual, um, source of funding because the time of your retirement would be so long. So yeah, I think it's very hard, uh, to spend, uh, 5% or 4% or whatever in, um, the 2020s unless stocks or bonds or whatever you're in gets a bit cheaper. Uh, given what the prices are now, it'll be kind of tough. Uh,
0: and then he also asks, also also thoughts on negative return on equity. Uh, well, it
1: depends. If it's it could be a, two ways, right? Right. <laughs> if negative return on equity because um, the there is an equity in the business, then it depends. If the business is some sort of franchise, it doesn't really matter. I've invested in a company um, at least once that had negative return on equity. I didn't mind it. Buffett invested in a company that had no equity um, at least once. He may have done it twice. I don't know if Moody's had equity when he invested in it. I know that Gillette did not have equity when he put in his preferred.
0: Got it. Um, Next question says, what is your advice for someone interested in starting a hedge fund? Um...
1: Uh, my advice would be to partner with people who, um... That's
0: exactly <laughs> what my answer is going to be. Okay. Partner with someone like Andrew... Co- no, no, that's yeah. not what you're saying. Uh, no, that okay. is true. Oh, right. really? No, but that wasn't your answer, right? All right, go ahead. Sorry, I cut you off. Both, with
1: Andrew and with Willow Oak.
0: That's right. Um, Andrew's yeah. taken, though. So, um... Yeah,
1: partner Partner with people who who do those sorts of things. Unless you, unless you have a background that's the reverse. You know, if you have a background that's, um... um we happen to know who this person is, and he's not a lawyer or anything. So um, I would give that advice. But if your background was more in the sort of services of helping people out with that kind of thing, then you need to partner with someone who has the reverse um, skills.
0: So from actually you know, being a part of Focus Compound and stuff, it's actually – like I've thought about this before. I don't know how anybody does do it by themselves and focus on investing. Yeah. Because, I mean, even, like, daily stuff with like, not daily, but, you know, stuff often with, like, inflows in the administrator and sending this wire and doing this and doing that, mm-hmm. it's it's not. I mean, it takes up a lot of time. Yeah. Um, you know, so I guess partnering with the right individuals. But I think your fund, in my opinion, is only as good as the capital that you have. And mm-hmm. what I mean by that is the type of capital that you have. Yeah. So my advice to anybody would be really think of ways that you can try to influence Um you know, just getting the right type of capital because not all capital is equal. And what I mean by that is there's hot, hot money is what some people call where they may um, be shorter term capital. And the way that we've been able to set up our firm really through this idea of content marketing is it allows investors to self-select us where that's the only outbound marketing that we do is producing content. Every single one of our clients, whether it is the fund or the managed accounts, other than um, maybe family members or whatever, has come to us because they listen to the podcast, they've been reading Jeff for a long time or whatever. I just got off the phone with somebody on my way here and he was telling me that he, you know, he's been reading your stuff since you know, early Guru Focus days. Mm-hmm. So I would really tell individuals, think long and hard about how you can try to influence the right type of capital to, that's going to invest with you Um, I think every one of our investors in some capacity is an investor themselves. whether that's venture capital, whether that's a family office, whether that's a fund of funds, whether that's, they invest their own money. Every one of our investors is like that. So that is what my main, um, you know, advice would be, it would be get the back, the backside right, because that is more than 50% of your time. And if you're doing it by yourself, I mean, I don't know how you focus on investing. It Mm -hmm. would be tough. It would be very tough. Um, But then think long and hard about how you're going to create maybe more sustainable, longer-term type of capital to invest with you, I would say. Yeah,
1: and I would say from the beginning, we probably, in both managed accounts and fund, um, we wouldn't have regretted having the same or higher minimum ever. Um, it's very tempting to have a very low minimum and stuff and bring in more people, but it's a lot mm-hmm. more work to do that. You may bring in people that you don't necessarily, uh, aren't the same kinds of people that you want. So, um, it's tempting at first, you know, people will tell you to do whatever it takes to bring in as much as possible yeah. up front, but you want to make sure you have the right kind of people and stuff.
0: Privately. I always talk about this story and I won't get, Two and deaf in case he listens to the podcast <laughs> still. Um, but Jeff, when we didn't even have a dollar in the door, we had zero revenue. It was just when we first announced that we were going to start to manage accounts, and there was a certain individual that probably there probably could have been a lot of capital behind it. Um, and we ended up turning him away uh, respectfully because he wanted like veto rights. He wanted us to send a write up every single time we're going to invest. Blah blah blah, just stuff that you don't want for yourself. Because again. I would think long and hard, like, yes, the individuals that reach out are interviewing you, but you're also interviewing them. And I think that's something I've had to personally learn and mm-hmm. think about more. And I've gotten, you know, great advice from other, invest- I mean, Ian Castle, he's, he's been on the show and he's given me good advice on it. Uh, just to really make sure, like, look, I mean, we always say this, we want to do this for the next 50 years. Mm-hmm. And the only way you're going to get there is if you had good partners on both sides, you're good for them, they're good for you. And that's really what I would focus on. Um, this is my favorite question that got asked. Okay. He said, for cash tag, G-E-O-F-F. That's my new thing. When people ask me, okay. I'm going to say, I'm long money sign i I'm long Jeff. It says, on a, and this is a question for you only. Everyone okay. knows how excited I was. Right. On a scale right. of one to 10, how great was it to see Andrew again? 11, 12? How think, much, Jeff? Come on, tell him.
1: I don't think I've ever tell hit him. an 11 or 12 on anything in, in my life uh, level of excitement. But uh, yeah,
0: an eight. An eight? Okay, that's pretty I'll take an eight. That was a lot higher than I thought it was going to be. All right, cool. I'll take an eight. I'll take an eight. That was a good question, Ben. All right. Uh, next question. How does Jeff think about cost of capital? Does he ever use WAC? Should an individual use desired return as cost of equity or use expected return in comparable investment? Like the S P 500. Present values change a lot if cash flows are discounted at 10% versus using 10-year treasury.
1: Yeah, that is true. It's a huge difference. I was just reading something where uh, Munger talked about this. Uh, He actually, uh, it wasn't so much a speech, it was like a debate thing that he did. Um, So cost of capital has always bothered him. And it does, um, I guess, bother me as well. It's complicated because some companies can use debt, and we buy into companies sometimes on the anticipation that they will sometimes use debt. And that their investments will have much higher returns than the debt they use. Um, and this is, you know, this is always the case with things like utilities and uh, railroads and things like that, but, but other companies too. So there are companies we wouldn't invest in if we didn't think they would use some form of leverage. That even applies with things that like lease um, mm-hmm. locations and stuff. So for us, though, I would say we use opportunity cost when making decisions and when making uh, judgments about whether we want the company to buy back stock or pay dividends or whatever. Um, And usually it's something that is basically the same sort of, safety or however you want to call it confidence that we have in it uh, at delivering that same return i think it's pretty hard to judge the risk adjustment stuff buffett doesn't uh, use a risk adjusted rate it's very hard to do a risk adjusted rate so uh if we have something that we think is just as safe and could return 11 12 13 a year then we would that would be the cost uh, that we'd be looking at in terms of an opportunity cost whether to uh, buy the stock or not so it does sometimes happen that there's a stock that looks like um it could offer pretty good returns um but it's not as safe and so that's the judgement that you have to make uh, it's basically our opportunity cost and it's our next best alternative uh that we use and it's usually literally an actual other company i compare it to another stock that we might own more of
0: especially so that we already own i think buffett this past weekend actually said i've always used the treasury yeah he did say that
1: um it's complicated because i sometimes talk about intrinsic value which is not something i think about that much I don't really need to know the intrinsic value. I just need to know whether, what you should put things in. But you, in theory, for intrinsic value, it should be the price at which it equalizes the return between the stock and the S&P 500. So if you think the S&P 500 is going to return 8% a year over the next 15 years, then the stock should also return 8% a year at the, your intrinsic value estimate.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, he also asked, maybe not relevant, but I'm also interested in whether Jeff has considered real estate investing, not REITs, but buying and holding, say, apartment rentals Does he focus on stocks because of interest slash personal preference, or because he thinks the returns will be greater? Um,
1: I think the returns will be greater. I think I understand it better. Uh, I think a lot of the money to be made in real estate is doing stuff I don't want to do. So I think passive ownership of real estate as compared to passive ownership of stocks, passive ownership of stocks is going to work better. That's not arguing that... um, active development of real estate and stuff isn't going to work out well, but that's not the kind of thing that I would do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not impossible that we would buy real estate stuff through the stock market though, but that's different.
0: Um somebody asked us to do more like the Transcat. We went through a marked up 10k, we could definitely do that. Okay. Um do you have a 2024 S&P 500 target around the next election? <laughs> uh no, I do not. No. Uh what does Jeff think of non-US equity markets?
1: Uh, I think they're not my area of expertise, but I think they're very cheap generally compared to U.S. equity markets. I think that there is, uh, and for a U.S. investor, I think the dollar is also strong. So I think on hedged investments in foreign equities is probably going to give you much better returns than investing in U.S. equities right now. Mm-hmm. But it is not an area I know very well. I try all the time to uh, cultivate relationships or whatever you would say with people in countries that I think are promising. Uh, but generally, for most countries, there's some exceptions. It's just too difficult um, for me to feel that I have as much information as the local investors in, in that market.
0: Um, somebody asks. he says, uh, a couple good mentions of Time Horizon in here. He says, Jeff is pretty bearish. How might he advise a young lad with a lot of cash, like too much cash, plus time? Um. Uh, so, if an individual yeah. has maybe someone in their twenties, thirties, yeah. they have they're sitting on a lot of cash, uh, looking to allocate that capital. How would you advise them with you being bearish on the market right now? Uh, I don't think you can have too much cash for someone who's really young like that. Uh,
1: I, I think just save up cash, live below your means as much as possible, and you'll probably have an opportunity in the next few years to deploy it in something.
0: But I was talking about this with Vetla on The yeah. Rundown, which um, is the number one rundown show on investing okay. in the world, which is pretty interesting. <laughs> um, only recorded two shows if we're already that good. Um, check it out. But I was saying, the topic of you, one, something you said recently was, you're, it, this is the most bearish you've ever been on the stock market in your you know 20-plus years or whatever of investing, okay? You said that okay. on the podcast. Okay. But I said Jeff may think that, but I don't think that's that doesn't mean we're, if we didn't find an opportunity that you would buy stock. Oh, that's not that at all. Did yeah. you draw that conclusion because you're looking at a lot of companies and a lot of companies that you've been looking at they just don't seem cheap? Yes, and combined with macro data or what? Like, where did you? Where are you drawing the that you know sort of top down approach? Yeah, from? I mean, some of it is
1: is macro uh, data, like you were saying. Um, I may be more concerned about the economy in some places and stuff. Um, and I'm surprised by the lack of reaction in certain.
0: I mean, stocks. we're down 12% on the year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Literally we're back to like 2019 levels.
1: Yeah. I mean, the now, market
0: last year was up what? Massively. Yeah. yeah. You know? So yeah, now, there is a lot
1: of, um, stimulus and a lot of credit expansion. So that tends to inflate asset prices and things. And there's a lot of optimism that people have. Um, It's even more than that, like bearishness or something like that. I've never been this, I've never had this surreal experience in terms of, um, for any extended period of time, it's happened on given days or or a week. But I've never had this surreal experience in terms of uh, what I'm seeing and thinking I'm seeing and uh, what the consensus more, more generally is. Uh, it's really surprising. I mean, we could talk about some stocks that we like and stuff because there are prices that we have little hope of buying them in some cases. We really uh, like Hilton Foods. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much at an all-time high. It's a meatpacking company. It didn't
0: even fall at all. Like, that was like one of the only stocks that just like did not move when and it, the whole world was coming, was crashing yeah. it. I mean, and we there was were were like a
1: moment. Yeah. Yeah, like Buffett <laughs> was talking about with the liquidity thing, there was like a moment. If there was a particular day, if you look at the low or something where you can see it, but it did not trade for long at any price that was very attractive.
0: We were watching it when like everything was happening and we were on a podcast and I accidentally said the stock. Yeah, Do you remember saying, that? We were, what saying, were we Hilton, talking about uh, Ackman
1: we're, because he owns Hilton.
0: Yeah. We, <laughs> we were talking about Ackman <laughs> buying Hilton and then I kept saying Hilton foods, <laughs> but not, and then you're like, uh, I think we're talking. And I was like, Oh, whoops. I just gave to tell which company we're trying to buy. <laughs> yeah. There,
1: there's, there's a bank that I like quite a bit in Fort Worth, um, in Texas, which is not far from here. And, uh, it lends very, very heavily, like overwhelmingly to, um, to small businesses and stuff involved in construction you know the construction industry in in fort worth and and, in this area this will be the worst i mean it's got to be the worst in 30 years like in terms of real estate and stuff nothing like this happened in texas in 2008 2009 there wasn't much of a recession here so this is going back to the you know to a recession in which most of the big texas banks failed and stuff Mm -hmm. now that won't happen this time uh the banks won't have that problem. But in terms of real estate and stuff, this isn't something that people are used to in Texas, mm-hmm. uh, seeing whether it's declines in, in retail stuff or in office space stuff, the kinds of things that Buffett talked about, because it's also combined in Texas that a, a bigger part of the economy in Texas than in most States is also directly related to oil. Too. Mm-hmm. Um, but to answer his question though, yeah. you were just, what, what would the bottom line be? I think there's very little cost to holding uh, cash for, I mean, if you end up holding cash for three years and then deploying it, I don't think you'll end up much worse than other people. Um, I, I mean, I talked about it in an email. My, my estimates for returns were low. Uh, I said it could be as bad as, you know, looking out five years or 10 years, you know, returns and equities could be as bad as like 0% a year. They could be as good as 5% a year. Um, I don't think they can be a lot better than that. And so you're not giving up a ton that way. Now, on the other hand, we can see why this might be happening. I mean, we talked about we have a fund and stuff. I, I bet we can borrow a, a, on margin at a little less than 1%. Mm-hmm. So if we were into that kind of thing and speculating and stuff, you know, it's not hard to find things that yield a lot more than 1%. <laughs> sure. Um, so I'm sure that there are funds and stuff that do exactly that. So, you know, those
0: rates and things are part of it. And that's a good segue into the next question. In your opinions... Is there a reasonable and safe ways for retail slash schmuck investors to use leverage in their portfolio? Um, Options. So,
1: yeah, I mean, you, you can, like we, we have talked about leaps and stuff. You can use that. I, I want to be very cautious about leverage. If I was investing my own money personally without clients and things, is it possible I would use leverage in some situations? Yes. Buffett did munger did um in fact in their partnerships uh buffett had a habit of uh offsetting his workouts which were things like merger arbitrage and liquidations and stuff and i don't see necessarily a very big problem with that there are ways to use leverage um that makes sense in some uh very safe investments uh one of the issues though is that actually the things that probably would benefit the most from leverage in terms of safety and the returns that you would get from it Uh, That we see are actually not stuff that you can use as collateral. Um, so there's some stuff that's extremely illiquid, obscure, whatever, but almost guaranteed to yield a lot more in perpetuity than what you'd have to finance it with. And and the price is unlikely to be correlated at all with the market. There are ways I mentioned a preferred stock or something. I think before it had like an, at its best moment, it got to like a 9.5% yield to worst probably. And it's not callable for like six years or something. I thought it's very safe. It's backed completely with, um, rents from apartments and, uh, you know, I'm not advising people to use leverage and stuff, but if someone said that they were buying that preferred stock on margin, I I wouldn't argue that's more dangerous than the S&P 500. In terms of certain volatility things and stuff, it's probably safer. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Someone asked, every time Elon tweets something crazy, would that be considered a buying opportunity? I'll leave that one with you. Why are you leaving this with me? I already brought in the bad Tesla crowd. <laughs> well, he said something that I probably agree with, right? He said
1: that uh, the stock was too
0: expensive. Yeah. And, and I broke the cardinal rule of starting a podcast, which is if you're a value investor podcast, never talk about Elon Musk and Tesla because apparently a lot of people get offended. <laughs> um just kidding, of, I'll, I'll always talk about it. i don't care some of my favorite ceos
1: have said our stock's too expensive the ceo of bull america okay
0: said, all right um, but it's a little bit different buffett okay? said it munger has said it yes but it's different Alaska, you don't, don't think I? it's different I the I way that he has the dude faked. I, I don't care. I'll, t- I'll talk about it. I'm not, I'm bulletproof. he's trying to get attention. Thumbs this video. I don't care. <laughs> 420. He faked a 420 buyout. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. I talked about this in one of my videos. I, the whole marijuana thing with Joe Rogan. Whatever. I don't care. Okay. I'm not here to judge that. Faking a 420 buyout and lying about it, saying funding secured when it clearly was not secured. I mean, come on. Yeah, him I, saying that. Okay, the other day, him saying. And look, this stock is such a cult following uh, on both the short and the long side. So yeah. anything that he does, the shorts gonna, you know, be upset about. And anything he, you know, anything that the shorts say, the longs are gonna be upset about. I get that. Okay, uh, you know, whatever. I hope Elon Musk is successful. The product is cool. Um. Yeah. I just maybe I'm getting a little. I'm getting a little gun shy. Take some pre workout, come back on. I'm gonna freaking fire off. i <laughs> just kidding.
1: Uh, but I mean, we did. We promote quick fs. If you look at quick fs at Tesla, um, it's at the actual price, it is too high. I mean, you can't you can't make. I mean, I don't. The the price to book is in the double digits. I believe. Well, even Elon thinks the, it's too high. Yeah, apparently. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't, I think there's reasons for saying it were different than mine would be, or something. Yeah, because he
0: went to go raise capital, and they probably told him, "You're crazy, Elon. Your stocks but too high." But if I was in his position, speculation—it's a joke. <laughs>
1: if I was in his position, I'd be having a nervous breakdown because uh, nothing that you can do yeah. is going to please your shareholders over the next 10, 20 years or whatever, even if you make an incredible company out of it because of what the price is, you know?
0: Look, it's admirable the guy, the way the guy's like sending rockets to the moon or wants to go to Mars and, um, constantly puts everything back on the table, right? Mm -hmm. He constantly bets it all, which to me, that's kind of crazy. Like I always say like, okay, so I do with $30 billion. I think you have more risk on the line. It's like your lifestyle. Okay, so you're you're gonna go from thirty billion to sixty billion. Like, is your lifestyle gonna change? No, you could just give Mm. away more money. But to him, I mean, the guy believes that he has a mission that's bigger than himself, which is like totally like I admire that about him. Yeah, the guy wants to go to Mars, so I hope he's successful. He also likes attention, though. Yeah, and that's kind of that is what's fun about it. You know, like I said, 2020. I mean, just everything in general. It's just it's it's been it's been very entertaining. And Elon Musk. Never fails at that. So I hope he's successful. Uh, I would drive a Tesla. Have you been in a Tesla? I have never been in a Tesla. They're cool. No. I, w- I, would, I would drive one. Why not? Except for, I mean, it's pretty expensive. Some of their cars are like, what, $70,000? Uh,
1: I, I don't know. That's, if, yeah. if you want. There's a Tesla dealership right across the street if you want to. Yeah. Well, it's not a dealership. It's a whatever. You have to go inside and stuff. It's like a mall, you know?
0: Yeah. Um, Actually, there's two right around here. Do you expect this crisis to permanently change some consumer habits? An example, no more in-person branch banking, no more latte every day from Starbucks. Could we talk about you, et cetera?
1: Um, No, I don't expect it to change that sort of way. I I do think that there'll be some reduction in some stuff like use of how many employees you need in your offices and things like that. Um, And those reductions can be big because even if you say you just need... 90% 90% or 80% as many as you had before. Um, you can have people, if you can shift to having people work from home as long as they live very close to the office and stuff like that. Um, there's some other things that might change a bit, call centers and things like that. Um, but I think in the long run, the other stuff they're talking about will go right back to normal. Yeah. Uh, so I, overall, I, I know that we talked about me being bearish or whatever. I generally have a um, more extremely negative view of what could happen, the range of possibilities in the short term. But actually, I think Howard Marks says something similar um, in that, like the idea that the world will be changed by in five years or something, I don't see, because you'll either
0: have a vaccine or you'll have infected just about everybody, you know, in a few years. Mm -hmm. Um, I would agree with that. Um, Let's see. I know some super investors have switched from classic value to compounders, but never vice versa. Why do you think this evolution (laughs) process occurs? Does, it, does this suggest to you that one is superior? In your opinion, should new investors skip the value stage? No. It's I a, just think it's because it's worked. <laughs> it, it's AUM.
1: I, I actually yeah. was looking at something where I was doing a back test, and um, a very simple thing uh, that Graham laid out has outperformed the compounders by quite a lot over the last 15 years. So when applied to obscure stocks, now when applied to the biggest stocks the S&P 500-type stocks, it doesn't work at all. And a lot of value stuff doesn't work very well with very big stocks. But when applied to, say, microcaps, it's worked incredibly well. And and that's continued to be the case even recently. So, uh, by the way, the thing is just um, price to earnings times price to book. So he suggests, for instance, in The Intelligent Investor, that you not pay more than 22.5 times the combination of those two factors. (laughs) So, in other words, you can have – Uh, like you can have a price-to-book of 1 and P of 15, he's okay with that. But P of 15 and price-to-book of 2, he's not. And and it's pretty effective that way. Um, But if you have a very low one, like a a 5, for instance, and we own two stocks that probably would count as that technically, um, then you uh, tend to do very well. The problem is that it can't scale up. And I would say read Berkshire's early partnership letters. Now, Buffett underestimated it. But he thought there was no way he could manage a few billion dollars and beat the market. Mm -hmm. He says that a few times, that if he was running funds like the biggest funds at that time, he could never beat the market. Now he could, because he started buying things um, really with Cs, shifting into high-quality type things. So that changed it. But he couldn't have stuck with the approach that he has. So it's it's assets under management. Um, The value approach works really well on a small uh, amount of stock. Uh, Schloss and... Uh, Gram both would pay out, and to avoid getting too big, so that they could sustain it for decades. So, what's a small amount? Uh, well, a small amount is probably three hundred million or less, definitely. And so, there's hope for everybody listening. (laughs) (laughs) And to be honest, um, yeah, it works at three hundred million or less. sure. and uh, and the best one would be, uh, and for individuals, this is okay, but the best one would be under the limit at which you have to start revealing everything to the SEC. Mm. So whatever that is, 100, 150, 100, whatever. Yeah. 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 So um, th- that, that works too because you uh, will get some coattail riders and stuff in value stocks. Value stocks can be problematic to reveal to people because um, like certain compounders and things, it's not like people figure it out. You say the stock name and it's not a big deal. When you say the stock name of like a net net or something, they just look it up and go, oh, when they buy it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, it's pretty obvious what it is. So you kind of want to keep secret the names of things <clears throat> that are complete values. Thoughts on NACO's quarterly earnings tomorrow? Um, Not really. I think you will be on the call Friday morning, probably. I think I
0: will be. Yeah, Tune in. Tune in. Yeah, so you'll get to hear. Um, A discussion on trend in return of asset capital for companies that have utilized buybacks slash have a lot of treasury stock. Thoughts? Um,
1: I think... The big thing... Buffett talks about the test of uh, you have to create a dollar of market value for every dollar you retain mm-hmm. and it basically works the same way for buybacks um, so The same i works the same way for acquisitions and things like that So uh, yeah, I would say that the the trend has to be that you're creating market value That's the best way to look at it. It's just another form of retained earnings to me really even though it doesn't show up that way
0: How do you go about judging whether you are wrong on an investment?
1: I mean, for me, I'd say whether I'm wrong on investment is if my original reason for buying it turned out not to be true. Um, Secondly would be also if uh, I misjudged the risk of like a a catastrophic outcome in it. Mm -hmm. And the third would be if something happened that I never expected that completely changes things. And we've had all of that happen before. Um, The last year... Something happened with the company where uh, I would have put the probability of it occurring at extremely low. Uh, It was an adjustment to a merger thing, which almost always is very minor. And there's a dispute over it, which was, you know, a huge amount of the merger consideration. And uh, this year, we were investing in a stock that had to do with airline miles. And I sold that when the world changed that way so it's a mistake in the sense that i didn't take into account the possibility i mean we did talk about it mm-hmm. what could stop airline uh travel for a year or more um how many miles could you get stuck with what would be the financial situation yeah but we came up with ideas like terrorism weather events um i was just uh,
0: uh, when i mean, yeah we did like it was you know those type of events but a pandemic and a national shutdown was just like not on the list yeah, the same, we, we <laughs> or a, worldwide shutdown yeah we own a stock that was shut
1: down completely i the Things I considered for it as big risks were um, things like a tornado or something happening because they don't have that many sites or uh, an incident, a, a bad incident that resulted in someone's death or something um, that ruined their reputation. I did not consider a catastrophic possibility of them being shut down by the government um, along with, like, everyone else mm-hmm. for attendance reasons, you know? mm mm-hmm.
0: Um, what adjustments to gap earnings should investors make when looking at businesses like Salesforce and Amazon in order to understand the economic reality of these businesses?
1: i focus on the free cash. I was going to say statement. free cash flow. Yeah. Which I mean, smooths it out.
0: I mean, even Amazon has free cash flow, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so
1: free cash flow. And it just, you know, you have to kind of figure out the, uh, use Buffett's definition of owner earnings. You have to use, you figure out how much working capital they need to grow and how much of their cap is for growth. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you consider buying Hunter Douglas, a mistake last year, and if so, why? Um, so,
1: I'm not sure I do. Uh, I mean, yes, I do in the sense that I bought anything instead of holding cash. Uh, but we hold a lot of cash now, and people might say too much cash. So, uh, I don't know. It, it was a mistake in the sense of buying a more marginal stock that I wasn't that excited about versus holding cash. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't think it's, I don't want to say anything negative about the stock as if it's not a better choice for people than many of the stocks they may own. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a mistake usually to buy a stock that you're lukewarm on, uh, just because you want to deploy cash.
0: What company or industry is not in your circle of competence that you wish was?
1: Hmm. That's a very good one. Um, Hmm. I don't know. There there are some technology things, I guess, uh, that would fall under the category. Um, and, uh,
0: and maybe like also possibly reinsurance. Yeah. Do you think increase in book value is a proxy to intrinsic value growth?
1: depends on the company some companies don't need book value at all at other cases uh yeah it is so um it, it probably is at, at things where it's either very liquid um book value it, it, it probably is in terms of insurers and banks generally um you know at other companies it may be more priced it may be more sales than book that's useful or gross profits than book
0: thoughts on cash tag syte as an investment. Uh, no, I don't have any thoughts. We have a relationship with... Uh, we will uh,
1: never stock. publicly say anything about the company.
0: I don't own the stock and and won't own it because of the relationship. That
1: has nothing to do with whether we like it or not.
0: Um, hi, Andrew and Jeff. Thanks for a great podcast. Question, how do you decide how much time and depth is needed in researching a stock? I did hear in a recent podcast a few days of continuous work. However, has there been times where it has been so clear it only took you a matter of hours?
1: Uh, yes. There have been cases where that was true. Um, We'll see. They haven't always worked out. Um, I mean, I say they haven't always worked out. In some cases, the the stock is back at the same level that it was at that time, but it did double at one point or whatever, so you can take whatever you want from that. Um, Yeah, I... I wouldn't say that I made a decision on NACA right away, but I, because uh, I didn't know things about exactly the price would be at the spinoff and stuff. But yeah, I, um, I, I read it in a fairly short period of time and was very interested in it. There's some special sorts of things we've mentioned a little bit on it that I used to do, whether that was things having to do with litigation or, or like workout type stuff that Buffett talks about. And some of those were immediately obvious, um, uh, almost arbitrage
0: type stuff. Yeah. Uh, hi, Andrew and Jeff. Thanks for the Berkshire summary. What level of cash do you think Berkshire would hold for Warren to consider the company fully invested?
1: I think at this point he would hold, um, he might consider himself fully invested at 50 billion and it could be even a little bit more than that. Really? It could be more than that. Yeah. But he wanted not add 100 billion, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. He would have no hesitation to spend I don't think he'd have any hesitation to spend 50 billion right now. He might have a little hesitation to spend a 100 billion. He, he really did seem concerned about certain things that could happen in terms of markets freezing up and stuff. You know he, in fact, he said, "I don't want to say certain things that could happen mm-hmm. because you can you know by saying them you can almost make them more likely yeah, to happen.: Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, do you have a lower limit for the managed accounts? Minimum capital required a uh, hundred thousand dollars? U.S. dollar, uh, we can manage trusts, IRAs, taxable accounts, all like that. But the minimum is a hundred thousand, um, and that's a real minimum, not like things they do it for marketing purposes. Instead. That's a real minimum. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
1: so sorry about Oops. that. If you were hoping that that's just to get talking about doing fifty thousand, that's not a thing we do. No. How do you address FOMO in the current rally? Uh, well, I don't experience it, so. Um, but many people
0: do. But it's, it's definitely not a feeling I've ever had. All right. In terms of buying stocks, do you care if the price is 5 to 10% over your interest price? An example, how patient are you in terms of waiting for the right price in case a stock never gets, never gets to your interest price again? Hope that question made sense. Yes,
1: yeah. it does make sense. Um, so, two things. One, uh, yeah, we have a specific price that we'd want. And usually we would um, not buy unless it hit that price. And that means we would miss out on a lot. Um, we will be aggressive buying something if we can get a lot of shares of it what we're worried about is our average cost in over time and we understand that if we want to buy several million dollars of a company that has a really small market cap we're going to disrupt the price in some way mm-hmm. so we're we're not a big on the idea of i don't want to move the price to get one percent of a company that we want ten percent of or something and we're okay with moving the price a lot to get big chunks but um in general for what people would normally be doing i would say we are probably well not moving
0: not moving the price like purposely like move we're okay paying above the market current market price to get a big chunk is what you're saying uh we compare it to what how much i think will disrupt the price
1: by buying in the open market for that much yeah uh, i'm just trying not to get a suit that was just a disclaimer (laughs) um yeah so i i just think that um when for most people that you're not in super illiquid stocks and stuff like that uh yeah we we do have a price i mean i have a price always even when i write up a stock and focus compounding we have a revisit price you know Mm -hmm. and so there is a price that i'll pay and then we won't do more than that um we i you mentioned on the podcast something about uh Virtue Motors, not the podcast, but what you did with Vet Love, Virtue Motors and things like that. We waited for Virtue Motors for a very long time. I had a specific amount of price to tangible book that I was willing to do and not more than that. It took a long time. I don't know if we waited a year, year and a half, whatever. We started to be able to buy it. It kept dropping a lot because of coronavirus and stuff after we bought yeah. it too. Um, so it, it's not like we're picking a bottom there. But uh, yeah, I, I was, had a certain discount to book that I was willing to do and not above it.
0: I love that their CEO tweets a lot. Yes, he tweeted the other day. Yeah. yeah, he's big on tweeting. He followed me, but I don't even think he knows that we own a stock. <laughs> um, thoughts on Nuvera Communications? I do not have thoughts on it.
1: Oh, um, uh, but I believe that uh, Dave Waters of Alluvial uh, would be a good person to look for information on that. I
0: think. Are there few? Are there too few high quality small cap companies trading in public markets because of private equity? Does this make a small cap strategy much harder? Than it was in the 80s or 90s.
1: I don't have a problem finding really attractive small cap companies. I have a problem finding the prices I like. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so no, I, I actually don't have that problem. Uh, I I could think of quite a few that I like a lot,
0: but the price is not what I like. What does Jeff think about the fund management business as an investment, or is it just a bad business to, or is it just a bad business to avoid?
1: I mean, I think more generalized um, investing stuff is hard now. So I think you would either want to be doing something super specialized. We do stuff that's super specialized. But also, you know, like Oak Tree or something does things that are really specialized. Or you'd want to be like an index fund type thing or um, uh, stuff like that. I think it's gotten very hard to be the in-between sort of thing. Um, The idea of these big multi-billion dollar mutual funds that mostly are pretty close to the market, highly diversified and stuff. I think that's become really difficult. Mm
0: Mm-hmm which filters do you use to make a net net screener and which is the best page for this? Do you talk about net net back tests? Where do you do it?
1: Oh, um, uh, we've done stuff like that a bunch of times. Also back tests with net nets, I should say are, um, there's a bunch of papers on that and all around the world that, that's been done all around the world. Uh, I actually do net nets by hand checking for them. And the thing I mentioned, I think was, uh, the, the most important thing for net net for me is the amount of share turnover I don't like to have liquid microcap stocks. Microcap value that's liquid is often not that great. Illiquid is a lot better. Overlooked is a lot better. So I tend to like the net nets that are um, overlooked as opposed to those that are like hated for some reason. I like the gram number, um, and so price-to-book and MPE. And I also do like net nets that pay dividends.
0: Hi, Jeff. Would like to hear your, in- your in-depth views or insights on dividend investing, either as a dedicated strategy in itself or as a part of your broader portfolio which may include other themes any point parentheses growth value etc
1: i'm not a huge fan of dividend investing just because i think people tend to overvalue dividends and sometimes people have an objection to selling some of their stocks to create income instead of Mm -hmm. um, using dividends for it and some companies that are very attractive for dividend things know it and pay out pretty high dividends for that reason having said that I've gotten high dividends in some things just because the stocks are really cheap. So High um, dividend yields. Yeah, high dividend yields, yeah. exactly. So like um, Peter Cundell talked about the magic sixes back in the 70s, which were a PE of six or less, a price to book of 0.6 or less, and a dividend yield of 6% or more. If you find a stock like that, that could be very attractive. Mm-hmm. But if you find a stock with a high PE, high price to book, and it has a dividend that you like, I don't know. Uh, dividend growth and consistency in dividend is probably more important than, than the yield to me.
0: When, if ever, is return on assets a better metric than return on asset capital for the next decade, uh, mo or PM? Why? Uh, I, I don't. Uh, I don't think I
1: have a strong opinion on that because I don't know enough about the differences in, in different countries about um, tobacco usage and stuff. It's just not an area I'm knowledgeable about. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, return on assets uh, versus return of asset capital. Uh, Return on assets can be a more conservative way
0: of doing it. Depends um, on the business, though, as well, right?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes return on assets can be as accurate as return on invested capital. One way where it will definitely be better is uh, with banks. Yeah, I was going to say that. Yeah, no, that will definitely be bigger, but I doubt that's what yeah. <laughs> I was looking for. But yeah, banks will have a better number. I will have that's a bit more. That's return on assets is
0: the most useful number I find with banks. Yeah, but other companies, I think, retur- return on invested capital is probably better
1: probably. Although what I do is return on net tangible assets, which looks a lot like what Buffett does. And mostly what I care about is receivables, inventory, um, PP and E, uh, and then
0: accounts payable
1: and, um, uh, accrued expenses. Mm-hmm.
0: What are your thoughts on McKinsey's valuation textbook? I've noticed it was on the bookshelf in the older videos. I have not read it. It was in
1: your office, right?
0: Yeah. Um, I've read it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Read 10Ks. I'd rather. Ins- I mean, I mean, it's a good. Sure, if you want a, a good foundation, I wouldn't really. It's a good book. There you go. I'll mm-hmm. say that. After a brutal eight years, is it finally time for gold mining names to outperform on a sustained basis? Gold price higher and main input costs lower. Oil, EM currencies weaker. Expense side capital allocation much improved. Underrepresented in institutional portfolios?
1: Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it is an interesting question. People buy a lot of
0: gold and not gold miners. And they linked Paul Singer, Elliott Management, called gold one of the most undervalued assets around as hedge funds bet big on the precious metal.
1: Yeah, I don't know. We, we wrote up um, uh, AMARC precious metals, which is not a gold miner, but it trades in gold and stuff. And mm-hmm. it could be attractive if there's a lot of volatility in gold. And I'm not going to suggest ways to get hedge that and stuff. But if people want to, um, invest in things that are related to gold while taking out the risk of gold, actually. Um, uh, the fact that gold might fall down a lot and stuff like that, um, that one's probably better. Uh, it's not as exposed to gold prices themselves. I don't have an opinion about gold generally. If you look long-term over um, comparing to other commodities, I just don't think it's very cheap compared to other commodities. I don't know what that means, but, you know, that, that does worry me mm-hmm. that if it's a higher ratio.
0: What resources would you suggest your listeners to use to improve our valuation skills? Where can we learn about the valuation method used by you? Um, well, if you join focuscompounding.com and use the podcast promo code, it will take $10 off of the subscription price. And you can see how Jeff values companies when he writes them up. Yeah, I guess that is the best way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, other than that, I mean, Value Investors Club is good. When they lay out their valuation, even though they may focus more on like the next one to two years, but if you want to, blogs are pretty good, sure. Depends on the block, yeah. yeah. But,
1: but like, uh, I mentioned alluvial before and stuff, the the um, that that blog, um, OTC Adventures is uh, good at laying out some sort of way of trying to value mm-hmm. it and a different
0: approach on each kind of stock. But reading online, just reading yeah. case studies, I would say, um, about CBNA, it have a disruptor valuation in a business that seems not to be. What do you see as a differential value proposition, the growth that could be due to auto loans, ABS, like the subprime bubble? Uh, I don't think I know the company. Yeah, I don't either. Uh, Do you consider the stock compensations expenses as non-cash expenses? I actually do. I, um, look at it in terms of, uh,
1: the amount of dilution that happens and then factor that into taking it out of my return. So what I do is I actually look at a very long-term history of the company and things like that and try to guess how much I think they'll dilute me over time. And in a lot of companies, it's pretty big. It's often as high as one to 2% you're going to find. So, um, if I think that I'd return, you know, that the business is going to give me a 10% or something return, then it's down to eight or 9%. So I basically, Added to my hurdle rate in a sense. Um, there are companies I've skipped completely for that reason of, of that compensation, but no, I don't. I actually don't um, treat it the way most people do, which is like actually an income statement thing that's taking out of earnings.
0: I just look at it in terms of dilution. Is TLSA a short? Is that not Tesla though? Because I know there was a stock that went like parabolic because of Tesla. Hold on, see. Oh, it's like there's like yeah, one transposed. of them. Yes. Okay. So that's Tesla. No, that isn't Tesla. Well, I don't know what he's saying. He could be saying about this stock. There was one that was going crazy okay. before, but maybe. Well, he's why do not you
1: searching instead for TLSA stock, the one underneath it?
0: No, well, no that's that is Tesla. A, yeah, you know, but there on. was one that went.
1: No, if you type that in, yeah, and then you pick the second thing, show instead.
0: Which one? This that one. That one. Yeah. Let's see if there's such a stock. Yeah. See. Let's see. So. Yeah, maybe he's talking about Tesla, but there, there, it may have been this one that was going like crazy. That, um, because people we were confused? Yeah, at one okay. point. Um, maybe he's talking about like Tesla, zoom. though. Yeah, uh-huh, mm-hmm. Zoom. I think the SEC actually shut down one of those, or stopped trading in one of them because of that, because mm-hmm. one was just going bonkers. Um, let's assume he's talking about Tesla. Is it a short? Uh, no, I, I wasn't short sure a stop. Is it a long? Uh, no. So is it <laughs> do not touch? Yeah. Cool. Um, we're not short sellers, so wrong people ask. I know in the past you guys did a write-up on cool... K E W L when it was around hundred dollars per share, but didn't buy it's at around $60 now at this price. Does it make it more interesting yes. of an investment?
1: It makes it a lot more interesting investment and there's uh, new people involved who are pretty candid and, um, give a lot of information that could be helpful about it. I've been reading the reports and listening to everything that they've done and, um,
0: we'll see. Yeah. It's more attractive because it's a lower price. Um, Most people have a list of things they look for in an investment to invert. Do you have a list of deal breakers that help you screen out companies quickly right now? An example, high debt, high capex in an inflationary environment, et cetera. Um, mm,
1: I don't know about that. Uh, There are a lot of businesses I can't understand, so those are out. Certain managements that um, worry me a little bit. And and some stuff about uh, debt might be true, yeah. I mean... Yeah, I was just looking at a list of companies that are uh, like oil producers, and a significant number of them had high debt while having no cash flow, so that would be a deal breaker. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I can't imagine a company where I invest where they have negative cash flow from operations, if you want to use that as an example. When do you think the
0: market will tank again, and why? (laughs) I I, I don't have a uh, clear view on that. Um, What's the format of your paid membership? The Snowball talks about how Buffett used to scan equities by hand, value line, and S&P stock guides. What are your thoughts on doing this? And three, how do you account slash think about minority interests? Oh,
1: wow. Um, so the format of the paid membership is uh, that you pay $60 a month and you get write-ups by me. Yep. Um, and uh, there's also a list. You get a backlog of like 100 a, a that are already in the archive. Mm-hmm. Um and then uh, you get additional ones. They're usually about a few thousand words at the end. I give a interest level from zero to 100 of how much I would be interested in um, buying it or something like that. And I give a price where I'd revisit it. Occasionally, there's one that I like really like right now. But most of the time, it's one that at a lower price, I'd be interested. Um, yes, I think scanning by hand is great.
0: Cool. Well, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with Jeff and myself on this week's Q&A. Be on the lookout for the next Q&A. Follow me on Twitter, at Focus Compound. Also, if you would like to support Focus Compounding and you like QuickFS, that is quickfs.net, which is the website that Jeff and I use every single day to look up stocks, pull the financials. You could pull the models from there, which is really nice as well. Long-term ratios, long-term financials, in a very clean manner. Uh, you can either click the link in the show notes or when you sign up for a membership at quickfs.net and it asks you where you heard of QuickFS. if you click Focus Compounding, we will get credit for that. I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with Jeff myself. Hit the subscribe button, thumbs this video up. Know that a review and rating goes a very long way for us, and we will see you in the next podcast.